the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Dr. David Anderson, senior pastor and founder of Bridgeway Community Church in Columbia, Maryland. And I am so glad that you are tuned in now to our new special Saturday edition of Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. You're going to hear conversations from recent talks where I've connected with radio listeners just like you to help them build bridges of reconciliation, race, religion, relationships. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey friends, I'm Dante Shepard. I get to serve as the creative arts producer for Bridgeway Community Church. And today we're going to listen to an interview by Pastor Paul Chin, who is a graduate student from Regent University. Dr. Anderson was asked about his life of multicultural ministry. Uh, This interview highlighted topics of culture, call, community, communion, conflict, and commonplace. Let's listen to some of Dr. Anderson's replies that may provoke you to see life with a brighter view. He first was asked, how has his culture shaped his view of God's agenda in the world? Let's hear what he had to say. So my culture shaped it in that um, I was raised to believe that God existed. Uh, It wasn't an atheistic or an agnostic culture. So as soon as I was born and the way I was raised was by Christian parents who uh, gave me the assumption that God was real, God existed, and the way to get to him was through Jesus Christ. So it was a Christian culture, but also a black or African-American culture, which um, sometimes can be in conflict, but not always uh, with regard to biblical culture uh, and my regular black culture. So what's my black culture? My black culture is music and food and family and authority structure. So all of that was sort of a part of our black culture. Uh, The biblical culture then was how are we supposed to honor God even as we are uh, growing up. So Mm -hmm. if I have a race issue with, let's say, a white person, uh, one day I had a fight with a white person. I thought my mom would be on my side um, because uh, the person called me a bad name, Mm -hmm. a racial name. Uh, But my mom didn't stand with me because of the racial side of it. My mom stood as a Christian woman who said the way Christians respond is differently. Mm-hmm. Just because somebody wow. calls you a bad name or a racial name, you cannot respond based on your race or your anger. You must respond based on scripture. And so she made me go and ask for forgiveness wow. from that white boy and from his parents. Uh, so that's how Christian culture and black culture sometimes intersect. And so that's how I was raised. Definitely positive forces, no doubt about it. Even uh, the negative experiences I may have had uh, with regard to race or racism as a black man in America, the positivity of God's grace and the positivity of being raised in a godly family have been a strong force for me to create a very positive ministry around sometimes a very divisive and negative topic, which is racial division, ethnic division, but because of the positivity of my family, my personality, and the gospel of Christ, I've been able to create a positive ministry uh, to try to help 
build bridges across some very negative divides in America and around the world. I agree. Yeah, certainly taking a positive view of life can really shape our worldview to honor God, definitely. Now, Dr. Anderson will tell us how he had been uniquely prepared for his ministry role through cultural forces. So I think that my ability to communicate to other people besides African-American or black people is a very unique skill that I have. Uh, Not only can I create conversation and communication with people who look like me and who were brought up in my culture, I've been uniquely uh, endowed with an innate ability to communicate across racial lines. Mm. Part of it, again, comes from being raised in a, in a good family, being raised in a multicultural uh, neighborhood, and being educated, coming from a middle-class family mm. uh, that gave me a good public school education here in America, uh, and then a good community college education, a good Bible college education, and, uh, you know, graduate degree education. And so I think that if you take my culture, you take my education, and you take my ambidextrous racial relationships, it has allowed me to be able to communicate across racial lines. And that attracts white people, it attracts Asians like yourself, as well as Hispanics and others. Amen? Wow, our culture can really have an impact on how it uniquely prepares us for God's work. Not only how we react to situations, but also how it molds us on how we view the world. Now, Dr. Anderson will tell us a bit about his call to his life mission and the vision for his current and next chapter. To positively affect everybody uh, for Christ, everywhere, every time. Uh, that's my life mission. Uh, it's a personal life mission statement I wrote when I was in my young 20s awesome. to positively influence people for Christ everywhere, everyone, every time. When people come in contact with me, I want them to have a positive experience mm-hmm. and I want it to be uh, influential for them. Amen. So when I'm gone, mm-hmm. uh, beyond them, and once they've left and they reflect back on their interaction, with David Anderson, whether it was a one-time interaction on an airplane or whether it was 10 years in employment or 30 years in a relationship. Uh, I want them to reflect back on their interaction with me, and I want it to be positive. I want it to bring a smile to their face. And I want them to say that I'm a better person because uh, he positively influenced me. If that happens, then I know I lived my mission. My vision is to continue to build bridges of reconciliation around the world and to expand that platform in any way I can so I can positively influence people for Christ everywhere, everyone, every time. Yes, what a great vision. Now, living a life with a personal mission and vision can help you stay on track and live a purposeful life. Our community and family also helps to shape us to become effective leaders. Dr. Anderson now will share how family contributed positively to his leadership. Uh, my father being a great example of how he loved my mom, oh. how he uh, was uh, present with my family, um, my mom being a matriarch or a woman who uh, engaged her family, worked hard. Uh, she worked all of my uh, uh, my life uh, as a working mother. Wow. Uh, she was out at five, I mean, out at eight in the morning, wow. home about five. Uh, uh, my father worked for the federal government, oh. so he was out at seven and in at seven. 
Uh, and so we had working parents, but they still found a way to take us to church on Wednesday nights, youth group on Friday nights, uh, church all day on Sunday. Uh, still found a way for us to do dinner together mm. uh, and still found a way for us to do devotions. Mm. We did devotions where we literally read a little uh, devotional book mm. uh, that took about five or ten minutes. Uh, and then we stood up to pray. We would hold hands oh. and we would pray together as a family. And then they made us a family of five parents and uh, five people, meaning my two parents and my uh, mm. two siblings with me at the time. Um, they made us. Kiss one another. So we would read read the devotional, Mm. pray holding hands, Mm. and then we kiss the person's cheek to our left and went all the way around the circle. We hated that as kids, (laughs) but I still remember that to this day. And my mom would always say a family that prays together Mm. stays together. Uh, We also prayed before we ate. And before, once we said amen, we had to each say a Bible verse. Oh, And once we all prayed and said a Bible verse, then we could eat. These are the things I remember growing up that have affected my life to this day. Yeah, sometimes the most uncomfortable gestures are what shape us to make better decisions for the future. Are you in communion with God? Let's listen to how Dr. Anderson's heart beats in communion with God and how he sets time aside to meet with him and how his communion with God challenges and changes his assumptions, biases, and prejudices. I think you could assume that God is a um, loving God. You could assume that God is a uh, judging God. You could assume that a judging God who sees sin in your life would theologically love you, but personally disdain you. Mm. Uh, I think time with God reminds me that he loves me no matter what. Amen. And he keeps the anointing on me regardless of my own personal challenges. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's good. You ought to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's very important, uh, and it's ongoing. Um, Scripture talks about praying without ceasing. So it's ongoing throughout the day. Uh, I do have times in the mornings, like this morning, I sat in my uh, special chair and I opened up my Bible app that I have on my phone and uh, I read a scripture, meditated on it, looked out the window, prayed on it before I actually left uh, to go on about my day. So I have some times in the morning. I also have scripture preparation times, uh, usually on Wednesdays, sometimes on Friday mornings, sometimes on Saturday mornings and then early on Sunday mornings. So a mix between morning private devotions and also sermon preparation. Mm-hmm. I think those together, mm-hmm. uh, which of course include prayer and, and talking with God along the way, are probably the main ways I, uh, I have time with God. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they said like, it takes like 20, 25 hours to prepare a sermon. <laughs> it, it can. It really does depend on the... Um, the base knowledge of the preacher uh, and then the anointing of the preacher. Um, If you're writing a sermon and you don't have a base knowledge, it's like writing a paper on a topic of science, but you don't even have the understanding of biology. Sometimes people uh, will write sermons 
and you can tell by their sermon mm. they don't even understand basic mm. biology. Wow. Well, it's the same with Scripture. If you are preaching Scripture but you don't have a basic understanding of theology, mm. the learned can tell. Yeah. <laughs> the unlearned can't tell. Yeah. Wow. They're like, woo! Exciting, exciting. But the learned can tell, wow, yeah. uh, they have a scriptural knowledge, but they don't understand mm. theology. So if right. I just pull out a verse uh, from scripture and start yes. preaching that verse, if I don't understand that that verse has been mm. written in the context of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or the context of the Synoptic Gospels in the first three or four books of the New Testament, or has been written in poetry, mm. you know, if I preach it and I don't know it's been written in poetry and speak it literally and people get all excited about it, the unlearned will never know. But the learned will oh, be like, really? Oh. You have no idea <laughs> really what, what that means. Oh. And uh, it's, it's the same with uh, in our culture if somebody were to say, um, the girl in, that je- in those jeans, uh, she looks hot. Mm. If you don't understand the cultural context mm. of that, uh, you may yeah. think, I need to bring the girl in the jeans a glass of water because she's yeah. hot, Temper- <laughs> temperature hot. Go give the girl in the jeans some water because she's temperature hot. Yeah. It, oh. If you understand the cultural context, mm. you'd yeah. realize that that person is not being literal. That person is saying the girl in the jeans looks good. good. Not that she's <laughs> temperature hot. She looks good. And so imagine preachers today mm. preaching, we need to take these women water. And there are other people, yes, give the women the water. <laughs> but the learned among them who understand culture and theology are saying, wow, mm. they don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. What a loving God we serve, a God of mercy and grace. Dr. Aronson truly gave us some deep information through his response. This should provoke us to think about, one, how we spend our time with God and how we really take our time to grow spiritually, but also how culturally diverse we strive to become. Being culturally diverse cannot only help us to help others, but it also opens our hearts and minds to see how big God is through so many different cultures. We all deal with conflict and challenges. It is none of our favorite things to deal with. Let's listen to Dr. Anderson tell us about his thoughts on conflict and how it has shaped him during his time in ministry. I don't necessarily like it. I know that. Um, I mean, some people like conflict. I, I don't necessarily like it. Um, I think it has to rise to a level that I need to engage it. If it's minor conflict, I don't think I take the time to deal with it. Uh, I do know that if I have conflict with my wife, you know, or people that's closest to me, it affects me differently as opposed to conflict with other people because I can compartmentalize conflict, put it in a drawer and keep moving. Mm-hmm. But I think with my wife, uh, especially in the early days of our marriage, it was hard for me to like, uh, like preach if I had yeah. a fight with her Saturday night, you know, and so I felt like I needed to be authentic when I'm preaching. And now I'm mad at her because she allowed this to happen right before I preach. 
So one time she had to speak, and I tried to get in a fight with her before she had to speak to teach her a lesson. She, and we laughed about it. I, I was just joking. I'm like, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Now let's get in a fight. See how that really messes your spirit up. So she could just get an idea of, of how that feels. Um, you know, but that was just me being spiteful and, and funny and humorous at the same time. Of course, she didn't find it humorous. Um, you know, but I think earlier in our marriage, trying to resolve conflicts before I preached was uh, was a motivation for me. But she didn't like that. She thinks, "Oh, you're coming to me just because you got to preach tomorrow." Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. But uh, outside of her, and we've got that rhythm down now. She, you know, we don't hardly argue ever anymore after 27 years together. Very seldom do we argue now because we're into a rhythm now and we understand each other, praise the Lord. But that was probably the biggest difficulty for me early, early in. So conflict can also be used for good. It helps us grow and focus on the things that are major in life. Now let's see how conflict shapes him. Well, I think the scriptures shape it um, and people shape it. So scriptures say, you know, if you have conflict, you're supposed to deal with it uh, individually, one-on-one, and if you solve it at that level or resolve it at that level, uh, then it's over. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it doesn't work at that level, then take more people. So move from private conversation to private conference, uh, Matthew 18, Mm -hmm. uh, verse 15. And then if if that doesn't work, or it's a small group trying to handle the situation, then you got to take it to the larger authority, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even the entire church, depending on the size and the governance of the church. So, I mean, I think scripture shapes it, but I think people shape it too. And what I mean by that is the Church of Jesus Christ is a sociological group of human beings who gossip, who have emotions, who backbite, who slander. And even if you take away the slander and the backbiting, Mm -hmm. the reality is humans gossip. So you don't try to have a non-gossiping church. You can preach it, but it's not going to happen. People have to gossip. They have to tell somebody about something in their life. They can't do it. Mm -hmm. So I think I've learned that people just can't not gossip. Mm -hmm. So then as a leader, you've got to figure out how to use the gossip to your advantage. You have to figure out how to spread it. And what I mean by that is what you say when you say it and who you say it to, knowing that it's going to get through certain people no matter whether you tell them not to tell anybody or not. Uh, And I think effective leadership not only understands uh, open communication, but covert communication. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand covert communication, uh, you're going to be sadly... um, surprised uh, and even hurt. Uh, I was meeting with a leader yesterday who's a political leader and he's hurt because somebody said something bad about him to somebody else who uh, trusted him. And I said, uh, you know, he wanted some advice on that. And and my advice was uh, you need to be free of trying to protect your own reputation. Once you're free from trying to protect your own reputation, and just keep moving toward what your goal is, Mm. uh, you'll find out that um, you didn't waste a lot of time. Mm. What I mean by that is if somebody, if if I lie on my assistant Mm. and he finds out I lie on him and I tell somebody that he is something bad, 
and he finds out, um, he has two decisions to make. One, is he going to believe my side of the story? So then I tell him when he confronts me, I never said that to that person. Mm-hmm. Now he still has in his mind, well, he probably didn't, and I trust him, but maybe he did. So now he's got something rolling around in his mind. Now I know I didn't say it. I don't know why they lied on me. But now there's something in his head. So then he goes to a friend and says, what am I supposed to do with this? I feel upset about it. That's the position I was in with this other leader. And I said to that other leader, I said, don't sit around and try to defend that you were right or you were wrong. Because you're going to waste time. Keep moving. The Bible says don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless you have two or three witnesses. Why does it say that? Because two or three witnesses is a contract. Mm-hmm. All right, in Jewish law. Yes. All right, and that's why the Lord says, "Where two or three are gathered in My name, it's a contract. I'm there." Mm-hmm. So, if you don't have two or three witnesses, don't even give it time of day. Uh, now, if you have two or three witnesses, that means sue. Mm-hmm. All right, but if they're not two or three witnesses, this is not a lawsuit. It's not a contract. Mm-hmm. Keep moving. What am I saying? I'm saying if someone comes against you and they're not suing you, don't give it the time of day. Mm-hmm. If they're suing you, give it the time of day. Mm-hmm. It's a legal contract. You've got to deal with it. Yeah. But short of suing you, you could spend all this time dealing with people who are saying things about you, get you off your focus, and that's exactly what the devil wants. Mm. The devil wants to get you off your focus. Mm. Yes. And because we desire to protect our reputation, mm. and people are saying this about me, people are saying that about mm. me, you have a lot of people in the church who are running around mad that somebody said something about them, and before you know it, they've wasted weeks, yes. if not months. Yeah. But if you have a mentality, I don't care, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep moving, Amen. then I'm going to stay on focus, and all that other stuff will wash out over time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my view, that's what I'm learning about community, and that's what I'm learning about uh, sociological groups, mm-hmm. that people are going to gossip. <laughs> and if you go around and try to fix every little gossip, you're going to be so busy doing that, that you're not going to be doing what God called you to do. Every sociological group gossips. Gossip is something we all do, but we have to take the good with the bad and turn the bad to good. Allow us to learn how to use gossip to lift people up and delete what will hurt others. If what we are saying is not going to help someone or lift them up, then delete it from your mind. Get back on track and think how we must reflect God's love and grace. Focus on what he has called you to do. Now, finally, we will finish with Dr. Anderson sharing what joys keep him going. Then I will share with you a little bit of background on Dr. Anderson and how he can be a benefit to you and or your organization. Actually, the greatest joy that keeps me going is encouragement uh, by other people or by God Mm -hmm. that I've had a positive effect on their life. Because remember my mission to positively influence people for Christ everywhere, every time, everyone, everyone, everywhere, every time. Okay? So when I get a chance to see that that happened, it blesses me. Mm. So when I preached about uh, taking people to uh, another country with me based on a country that I had come from, and I shared this from the stage, and I told people to write me if they were interested, I had over 200 emails of people... (laughs) not only saying that they were interested in the trip that I was hosting uh, back to Africa, Mm. but the words that those people wrote let me know that Mm. that sermon that I had preached actually touched their lives. Mm. Amen. That's Mm. the fuel 
for me, not necessarily uh, money or yeah. gifts uh, from people. The only fuel that I need, the only thing that really uh, just you know makes me want to do it again, mm -hmm. is the encouragement of knowing that I had mm -hmm. an impact and that people are grateful. Amen. Um, when I when people are grateful, that's all I need. I like to bless people a lot, yeah. and my team around me knows this. I love to bless people. I love to take them out to eat. I love to give them great experiences. <laughs> I, I just I love to, you know, I was with one of our former presidents two days ago, and I had mm -hmm. a young guy with me that was on the team, and he got mm -hmm. to shake the hand of this former president. Oh. Well, for me, that was that was just great to be able to wow. provide wow. Uh, that opportunity when people uh, are grateful for that. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. I don't even need credit uh, publicly. I just want that person to see what I tried to do to help lift them up. And when they like that leper that Jesus healed, come back and say thank you to Jesus, mm -hmm. that's enough. <laughs> but, you know, it's discouraging when Jesus says, what happened to the other nine? Mm -hmm. But all you need is one. Amen. And if one comes back, you're like, great. But it's really interesting to see how Jesus' emotions was connected to that. Jesus says to this guy, like, hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. <laughs> no, the first thing Jesus says is like, what happened to the other nine? Mm. And you have to sort of balance this 10% yeah. rule, right? One came back, nine didn't. But, you know, 10%, that's all God asked for in the tithe. 10% is enough to multiply everything you need in order to do what needs to be done. Mm. So it's that one that comes back that makes Amen. it worth Amen. the other nine that didn't. Amen? Amen. Friends, I hope this interview sparked your thoughts and made you pause for a moment and ask yourself the questions Dr. Anderson was asked. Did it make you evaluate yourself and your life in ministry? Did it make you think and ask yourself how multiculturally diverse your life is? Whether your walk in life is on a spiritual path or even if it is in the secular world, as a child of God, he has still created you for his purpose and kingdom. He still wants to use you for his ministry. If your organization is seeking to grow and become more diverse and multiculturally effective, go to EmbraceGracism.com where you can read more about Dr. Anderson and learn how his ministry can help your organization. Thank you for tuning in to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. You've been listening to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson, Weekend Edition, a ministry of Bridgeway Community Church. We would love to have you join us at Bridgeway in our Performing Arts Theater in Columbia, Maryland, for one of our three identical Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and noon. Or join us online at www.bridgeway.cc. Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson airs live weekdays on this station and is ready to take your calls. Tune in at 3 p.m. weekdays on WAVA 105.1 FM. We hope to see you tomorrow at church. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.